Thanks, David. Yeah, it's great. I don't know if y'all caught that, but David was in the uh, drum cage over here. Yeah, so thankful. <laughs> thankful for Colin leading as well and the gift that that is. If you would turn your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. We're going to try to cover, uh, we're gonna, well, let me say this. We're going to spend most of our time in 1 John 3, um, but today will be one that kind of, briefly looks at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. If you know much about those, you know that 2nd and 3rd John are very, very short. So I feel like that's safe to be able to do. Um, as next week, uh, we'll look at the book of Jude. And uh, so again, just, just so much looking forward to even, even this word today. Um, while, while we'll spend most of our time in First John, I do want to at least give us a little bit of a glimpse at these two really brief letters, Second and Third John. Uh, all of them, all three of these books, were likely written by uh, John, the son of Zebedee, right? Who also wrote the Gospel of John and also likely book, wrote the Book of the Revelation. So uh, we know him best as uh, as the, the author of these books, the disciple of Jesus. He's uh, he gets to be in like the top three, right? Peter, James, and John. It's that John. Uh, he was probably writing these to a grouping of, of house churches that was in Ephesus. Second John is this warning against deceivers that had even left the church and would attempt to bring others along with them. And so uh, it's this warning letter uh, reminding them to hold fast to the truth, cling to what is true and what they know, and not to, to find themselves being deceived by those, uh, again, that are speaking falsely or against the very truth that they know. Third John is a very particular effort to encourage one brother uh, named Gaius to welcome legitimate missionaries into town. So in 2 John, you've got this, be aware of those that might even be leaving the church and trying to take some with them. And 3 John is this, be ready to welcome some that are not deceivers, but are speakers of truth. Be ready to welcome them in. 1 John, interestingly, is not just a letter, but it's it's like a poetic, sermon-like writing, encouraging the reader to recognize God as both light and love. This is, this is the, the meat of 1 John, that you'll find repeatedly this understanding of who God is and how he interacts with his people, and as a result, how he expects his people to interact with one another and with the world around them. And so as we look to this text today, we will be finding that there are some stark contrasts. If you didn't know already, there are some drastic contrasts between the church and the world. We're not supposed to look like the world. We are certainly supposed to live in the world, but we are not to look like the world. And so let's do this. Let's, let's go to 1 John chapter 3 and spend some time Again, looking at this text, we're going to be in verses 11 through 18. 
says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. For if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. As we uh, kind of walk through these few verses here, I want us to see those differences, those stark contrasts as I described them. And see them both, what, what is the church doing in this text? Or what is God calling the church to do or to look like or to sound like or to act like? And what does the world look like according to this text? And so we begin by understanding that the church values love while the world devalues life. Right, right here from the beginning. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who, has, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. This is, this is a, a pretty stark contrast, right? Uh, John here is, is reminding us that from the beginning, from, from early on, it's been understood that those who follow the way, those who follow Christ, those who follow the one true God are a loving people. And those in reality, those that are against him or don't follow him, hey, they don't just not love. They actually don't have the same value on life. Because you see, love means protecting the innocent. Love means providing for the needy. Love means supporting the weak. Love means speaking on behalf of the silenced. Love means bearing one another's burdens. Love means praying for each other, listening to one another, encouraging one another. Just a chapter over, John reiterates this in chapter four, verse seven, when he says, beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I think it's really easy for us to raise questions, or maybe for the world to raise questions about the, the sincerity of God's love. When they look at the world, war in Afghanistan, a global pandemic, 
hurricane coming during all the midst of that, the tornadoes that might spin out of that, damage that is coming. Are you sure God really is love? Are you, are you sure that this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God really is love? Yeah, we are. And we'll see why in just a minute. But, but the love of God is what actually compels us to respond differently to what we see in, in the midst of all of those tragedies. So when, when people lose their homes, the church should be the first ones to invite people in. When people are torn from, a, from their home and their country, the church should be the first one to provide meals for them and give them the, a place to lay their head. And, and when a virus sweeps through and, and puts people in the hospital or harms people in, some, some, in their job or with loss of resources, the church should be the first place to de demonstrate love, the love of the Father. You say, well, how do you know then, or how did the author know then that the world devalues life? Well, he's, he's simply saying that Cain was, was a murderer, but that doesn't mean that, that the entire world devalues life. Well, we know this because while the, while the world shuns those with disabilities, handicaps, we as the church, here's, the, here's the, the contrast, we see them as image bearers, made in the image of God. We, we know of this, this uh, devaluing of life because while many choose to ignore the aging with dementia the patient, we, we will choose to shower them with hymns and songs and blessings along the way because the Lord loves those through all stages of life. We, we know of this devaluing of life because there is still more than one abortion every minute in America. So I, I want to pause and say this. When I was reading some of those statistics about how often uh, abortions are taking place here, the, the taking of life. I want you to know that we don't just love that child in the womb. We love the woman who, who goes through that and makes that choice. And as as much as we long for them not to make that choice, we, we don't hate them. We don't hate that, that husband and wife who, who feels like that's their, that that's their only answer. The church responds to that and says, no, there's, there's more, there's other ways, there's greater hope than this. So I want you to know that if, 
If that's been one of those things for you that maybe happened years ago or maybe it even just happened recently for you and you, you walk through this and, and there's, a, there's a, a burden, a cloud of, of shame over you, I want you to hear this, that I believe that you have gone through something extremely traumatic. And, and we want you to know that you are loved, that, that we value your life in fact, like, please reach out to us here at the church. Hear me, hear me. We, we value the life in the womb because we believe that there is life in the womb. But we want, we want to demonstrate that love through all stages of life. And if you walked through that, then we love you too. Our love for you does not stop because of a a sin you chose. That's for any sin, of, right? So, so we just want you to know that when we look at this, when, we, when I look to this text, it reminds me then that, that the church, the people of God, we value love, the gift that love is for us and that the responsibility that we have in love to others. While the world is not going to look like that, the world, the world is going to define love differently. The world is going to have a, a greater expectancy for what, when I love you in a certain way, you better love me back or my love immediately stops, right? That's what the, the world tells us. But that's not the committed covenantal type of love that Christ shows for us, isn't, aren't we thankful for that? It says the church values love while the world devalues life. And as we continue in this text, we see that the church upholds righteousness as the world carries hate. Second part of, of verse 12 asks this question, why did he murder him? So Cain killed his own brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds, Cain's deeds, his offering was evil and his brother's was righteous. So don't be surprised when the world hates you. This is a, 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 such a small matter in, in the grand scheme of things. But I remember in high school, uh, a particular a teammate of mine who really did not like me. And his main reason for not liking me, in fact, pretty stated reason, was because I didn't cuss. He would, he would try to get me to say words, like just to prove a point, I guess. What I came to find out is the reason he didn't like it is because it made him feel bad for saying them. And he didn't want to be feeling guilty for his foul language. So he wanted me to join in with him. And so this is what happens. When the world looks at us and we're, we're following in righteousness, they're bothered by that because they're not living righteously. So there's a frustration, there's a, uh, and, and then words get spouted out at us like we're holier than thou or, or that we're trying to prove or, or show that they're weak or wrong. But I, I want you to see that this isn't what's best. So we don't, we don't need to be surprised by this. 
so often, though, the, the church has mixed these in, in the wrong way, I believe, because we have, we have puffed ourselves up in our own righteousness that, that we assume is ours. And so then we actually wrongfully demonstrate, instead of demonstrating love, we demonstrate hate for those who sin as though we've never sinned. Think about it. Hear me again clearly. Homosexuality is sin. It's, it's clear in scripture. But should we hate or look down upon those who sin in this way? No. That, that's, that's how the world responds to things that they disagree with. It's not how the church responds. We're not going to win them by hating them. It's not going to happen. Yes, again, like I just said a minute ago, abortion, without a doubt, is sin, is wrong. But shouldn't we embrace those who have gone through that? Instead of pushing them away and pushing them out of the church and say, go find, go find love somewhere else. You know, this was, this was really hard for you. This is really difficult for you, but go, go elsewhere. Yeah, gender confusion is just that. It's confusing and painful. But shouldn't we be the place that people come and begin to hear and see what real, true, Christ-honoring love is? How God has made them in his image just as they were made? Not to, not to try to uh, mix or confuse that themselves, but to see that there is clarity in the scripture. Shouldn't we be the place? I continue to hear from, um, from friends in other, in other uh Areas of my life, honestly, uh, like high school days, college days, uh, places where I've served as chaplain and others that they're walking through these type of choices. And the, they would describe a overwhelming judgment from those that would call themselves believers feeling of hurt that comes from them, from others, because, because they're not displaying any sort of love. Now, this reminds us that we must uphold righteousness. So let's be clear. I'm not, not excusing any of those uh, categories, any of those things as not sin. We uphold righteousness by calling sin exactly what it is. It is sin, an offense to God. And we wanna, we wanna confront people in this church particularly who commit sin. But we wanna do that with compassion, knowing that when we sin, we really would like people to confront us that way. This isn't a new concept treating others the way you would want to be treated, right? This is something that is learned in preschool, kindergarten. It seems like it's, it's a harder thing to implement when we get older, right? 
But think about how would, how would you want, like if you were, if you were choosing to, to act in a sinful way, how would you want your brother or your sister in life group to approach you about that sin that is happening in your life? Do you, you want them to, to come beat you up about it and tell you how ridiculously wrong you are? How, how, how could you? Or do you want them to come to you with generosity and, and kindness and say, let's look through the word together and see what scripture tells us about this. It's not that I've got it all right. It's that scripture has it all right. And, and so let's look to scripture. Let's look to the Lord and plead with them Please come, come back, come back to the church, come, come back to our relationship, be reconciled to Christ, be re, uh, restored, renewed, refreshed. And so often, really, so often what we, what we do is nothing because we don't, we, don't we don't want them confronting our sin is what we really don't want. And so we'll just say, eh, like I'll just stay out of their business I'll, I'll let them keep sinning and offending a righteous, holy God. I'll let that keep happening because I don't want them messing with when it comes my time. But what we know we need is for someone to come knock on our door when we sin. What we know we need is for someone to, to, to prod and ask the hard questions and to, to, to know us this way. I wonder if you've ever sat across from someone begging them not to sin. It's really hard. I don't want to pretend like that's just this easy, commonplace thing that I enjoy doing. But when they look at sin and say, I would rather choose sin than choose truth, we, we have to stand firm on the word of God with grace. We, we can't be a church or a people that embraces a manner of confrontation that spews out hatred and judgmentalism on those that are simply committing a different sin than we are. So the church has a responsibility and an appropriate burden to uphold righteousness, uphold the word of God while the world is going to respond in hate. We don't act like the world. May that not be said of us. The church upholds righteousness as the world carries hate, but the church passes into life as the world abides in death. Look at verses 14 and 15. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This phrase here, passed out of death, is not referring to 
physical death, but spiritual death. We, we, uh, we think of that, that physical way because of that phrase so often, they've passed away, right? When we don't want to sound quite as harsh with saying that someone has died, so we will say they've, they've passed on or they've passed away. But this is, this is talking about something else because we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. Right, church? So, so what this is talking about, we were, we were once already dead. So we're not talking about physical death that, that one day we will pass through. We're talking about like spiritual death. We were once dead and we passed out of death into life. Think about baptism. It's so often said in the baptismal waters, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life, like passed through death in baptism and raised in life. This is, this is the new way. We're no longer living in death. And because of that, we can be known to demonstrate love, it says, right? Because we love our brothers. This is, this is known. The world should know that we are no longer in death, that we are now living because we're loving. This is, this is what should be seen by the world. And, and sometimes I think what we try to do is we, uh, especially us preachers, we say phrases like that, but then we walk out and we don't know what that means. And I think it's, it's sad that we don't know what we mean when we say we should love our neighbor. I would say a good start is like speaking with kindness. That's a good way to love your neighbor. Stop being irritated about small things. Stop being so bothered when your neighbor cuts an extra stripe on in the yard next in your yard like they come too far over they don't go far enough and you have to you have to do more quit stop stop nitpicking about things that do not matter like demonstrate love by when when people are hurting you you show kindness to them you take them a meal or you you demonstrate love by uh, taking in their trash can for them I'm talking about like very small things at times Sometimes it's showing love when they don't show love to you. Hey, when people hurt you. In fact, John also quotes Jesus in John 13, in the Gospel of John, when he says, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is, is a visible thing. You can, you can see it fleshed out. You can see it play out. And, and people can say, oh, they, they are a, a kind, loving, generous, gentle, mercy-filled person. But what we're learning, again, on Sunday evenings in this series called Abide 
is, is what that word abide means is to remain or to stay in. And, and we, we want to abide in Christ, right? But this tells us that the world, according to uh, verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So it, eternal life does not remain there. Instead, what remains is death. For, for while we say, while we get to say, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. The world, those not in the church, still say that. They might not actually speak it, but that, that's still said of them. They're still, they're abiding in death. They're remaining, staying in death. Again, 1 John 4. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us the spirit. We're, we have changed where we abide, where we remain, where we stay. So, so over here, you have this death uh, you have, that you remain in, remain in sin, remain in trespasses, remain in hatred, remain in judgment. And there's a complete shift from remaining or staying like in this home, in this place, in this land to a, an entire shift. It's not just a little bit of an adjustment. It's a complete move to no longer abiding in death and sin. And now it's abiding in life and in the spirit abiding in us. And, and as we abide in Christ, as we remain and stay, what is produced out of us, out of that love, out of that abiding is love, is hope, is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, it's self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is born out of the presence of the Spirit in us. And so there's a, there's a complete shift. And he, here's even how that begins to play itself out. Because the church celebrates sacrifice as the world encourages selfishness. Look at verse Verses 16 and 17. By this we know love, that he laid his life down for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good deeds, goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The church should celebrate sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice ever was from Christ himself. But 
But I want you to think about practically for us where that looks, where that plays itself out. I think first and foremost, I think one of the, the best examples we have is marriage. Ephesians 5, right? Ephesians 5, Paul gives this description about what husbands and wives ought to be doing for one another. And he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body and his, himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, that's just a, a few verses there. And, and by the way, many husbands applaud this idea. They would say, yes, wife, you should submit to me. And many husbands also stop right there. Because here's what it says to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Listen carefully. Yes, wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands, you are to die you like, yeah, I like that. Let's have them submit. No, no. The church, we as a church, we want to say that, that we husbands sacrifice ourselves for the health of our wife. That's the task. That's the task. This isn't, this isn't about you in your marriage. This is about what you can do that your spouse will be closer to the Lord. So, in the same way, it tells us, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? By dying for her. I have I've talked to many a wife who has said that if they would be far more willing, delighted even, to submit to their husband if he were sacrificing like that. And for that matter, many husbands who would love to sacrifice for their wife if they would submit like that. This is why the church celebrates this. This is an example. We, we see submission and sacrifice, and that's not what the world is telling us marriage should look like. In fact, what the world is telling us marriage should look like is as soon as it gets hard, as soon as you fall out of love, that you should escape it. As soon as it's inconvenient for you church sees the beauty in the relationship that God has designed in this way. The church enjoys servant leaders, sacrificial giving, shared responsibilities. The world celebrates self-determination, self-esteem, self-confidence. 
looking for ways to increase your bank account, your retirement account, improving your social media influence, your status in the community, your clout at work or at school. The reason the church celebrates sacrifice is because we have seen the greatest demonstration of sacrifice in all of human history. You see, you and I have already seen that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, deserving of eternal condemnation. But God was rich in mercy, made a way through his son, Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven, lived a perfect, sinless, faultless life, to die on a cross, a death that you and I deserved to die. And then he defeated the grave by rising three days later, conquering death and hell and sin. For all those who call on him will be saved from hell, from an eternity apart from him. This, this is the good news of the gospel. It's been made manifest among us according to 1 John 4, 9, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might have life through him, that we might live through him. And this is love. You wanna know what love looks like? This is love, that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the replacement, the atonement for our sin. This is love. This is life, this is breath, this is all that we need. So what, do, what does the church then call for in response? The church calls for truthful action as the world offers empty speech. See, if we're, going to, if we're going to say that this is what love looks like, love looks like sacrifice, Love looks like submission. Love looks like caring for those who can't care for themselves. Love looks like speaking for those who can't speak for themselves. Love looks like protecting the innocent. Love looks like staying in marriage even when it's hard. Love looks like pursuing Christ even when the world is not. Then we must actually act. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. When, when he says in word or talk, this doesn't mean that we're not supposed to have loving words, kind words, truthful words. No, he's saying, don't just, as we've heard just a couple weeks ago, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. We can talk a really good game in this room, right? In fact, for many of us, we can talk a really big game on a short-term mission trip. We can go to the other side of the world and tell everybody there that we'll never see again and that we don't even speak their language about Jesus. We'll get all kinds of out of our comfort zone there but you're asking me to like tell the person I eat lunch with in the cafeteria or the person at the water cooler or I've got to get a little bit uncomfortable at the register at Kroger or I, I've, got to, 
I've got to serve in the church? You're asking me to do something like regularly? To be clear, it's not just me asking of these things. It is the word of God expecting it of us. I think it's interesting that he says little children there. If he expects it of little children, surely he can expect it of grown adults. We expect our little children not to talk back. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. We expect that of them. We expect them to say please and thank you. We expect them to have good manners. We expect them to do their homework. We expect them to go to school. We, we expect them to demonstrate kindness, not to just snatch the toy from somebody else. It's not just in love, not just in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We expect those things from little children. Truthful action should be expected from all of us as his children, as the people of God. While the, the world is quick to correct, not so quick to act, may we be different. For some of you today, it is possible, maybe even likely, that you've never responded to the gospel that you heard, and you are still living, abiding in death. So I wanna, wanna plead with you again. Would you turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus, the one who is offering you everlasting life in him? Maybe it is that you have questions about that. You're, you're kind of scratching your head, curious about what all that might, how does that look? Because I want to do more than just word or, or talk. I want this to, to be right. I want to actually respond correctly. And to my left here in this room, there would be those who would love to talk with you more about that, try to answer some of those questions by opening up the word with you. Maybe it is that you're thinking about some of the sin in your own life and you realize you need to confess that before God. You haven't, you haven't been loving as the word says. You haven't been demonstrating Christ's righteousness. Maybe you've been hateful or judgmental. Maybe you have felt judged and you, as a result, you have kept in your sin and not confessed it as you need to. Hear today that there is a loving God that no matter what you're confessing today, what sin you're confessing, he is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. So find yourself today resting in him, trusting in the one true God. Maybe your response this morning is to sing. To sing a song of praise, giving glory and honor to the one who has brought healing, brought protection, brought salvation, brought you from death to life. He deserves all the praise and glory. So would you stand with me now 
as we respond to him.